In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. The other day, a friend of mine passed me a, a joke along, which I thought was pretty good and probably a good way to start a serious discussion about forgiveness. And so I'm passing it along to you. I heard it a while back, but I reheard it this past week. And it's a story about a mother cat and her three kittens who are out for a stroll one day. And they suddenly see a huge, ferocious dog coming their way. So the mother cat quickly hid her kittens, kittens under a nearby porch. Then she turned and walked right up to the huge dog, and she looked straight into the dog's eyes and goes, ruff, ruff, ruff. With that, the huge dog turned 180 degrees and ran the other way. So the mother cat goes back to the porch where she's hidden the kittens and crawls into that little space where the three kittens are. And sitting in front of the kittens, she said, now do you see why I insist you learn a second language? I think sometimes the greatest challenge for many of us in our land today is a challenge to learn a second language. But today I don't want to talk about the language, uh, usual languages we have to learn, whether it's French or German or Italian or Spanish, whatever it happens to be. I think it's for us our purpose today to talk about the language and remind ourselves of the language, to review it so that we can relearn the language of the kingdom of God, and specifically the language of forgiveness, which is what these stories are all about. They're all about forgiveness. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, uh, had this comment, and I'm paraphrasing here because I could just, just remember what he said, but he said that he thought that for a while he thought that chastity was the most unpopular of all the Christian virtues. And then he wrote later on, but that may not be right. Everybody says that forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And I think it's true. Forgiveness is difficult. It is not the easiest thing to do in the world, which is why it's so important. And you and I both know that Jesus talks about forgiveness over and over and over. And he talks about forgiveness so frequently, I am convinced, because he knows we need to converse about forgiveness over and over and over. So today I want to go over some misconceptions about forgiveness, to review some misconceptions about forgiveness. The first misconception that I hear from people all the time is this. There has to be true repentance before there is any forgiveness. Have you heard that? There has to be true repentance before there is any forgiveness. And that is just not so. The word forgive in Greek, aphemie, the Greek word means to let go, to set free. And it is a decision which is made independence, independent of repentance. Forgiveness from God is unconditional. We need to be real clear about that. Forgiveness is not about aftergiveness. Forgiveness is what comes free of charge. Forgiveness is what is unconditional and given to every one of us. It can be done unilaterally. It's different from reconciliation. Reconciliation requires mutuality. Reconciliation means two people coming to talk about what has happened, but forgiveness can be done independently. It would be helpful if somebody who has hurt you comes and says that they are sorry, but that is not required of forgiveness. If you don't forgive, if you don't let go of the person, if you don't forgive of the damage, in a sense you're trapped by it, and it creates resentment. Remember this. 
The first thing about forgiveness is that it's suffused with moral judgment, your moral judgment. You believe that somebody has wronged you, right or wrong, perceived or real, you perceive that someone has wronged you. It is suffused with moral judgment. And one of the ways that we deal with that, of course, is that we refuse to forgive somebody. But there's a very serious side effect if you don't forgive. It is called bitterness. And it can do a terrible thing to the body and to the soul. Resentment, you and I both know, deforms each and every one of us. And unforgiveness is like a boomerang. We use it to protect ourselves, but it has a sinister way of circling back so that we become victims of our own ill will. The best example of this is, uh, appears in Great Expectation, Charles Dickens's novel. When I first came to uh, the United States, uh, there were two things that I had to do to get familiarized, familiarize myself better with the English language which we had studied in Cuba. And the first one was that I watched TV at night so that I could catch the speed of the language. You all were speaking very, very quickly. And so I remember watching Bonanza, Combat, you remember Combat, uh, The Rifleman, all those boy shows, half-hour boy shows on TV. I watched every one of them so that I could familiarize with the speed at which you all were speaking. The other thing which they did was somebody started telling me, well, to increase your vocabulary, you need to read some novels. So some of the first novels that I read were the Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. The second one was uh, A Tale of Two Cities. And the third one was Great Expectations, Charles Dickens's masterpiece, one of his masterpieces. I have it in my Kindle. And in my Kindle, I love that novel so much that it has a lot, you know those little blue strips you put on the page? Well, every page seems to have a blue strip, so it's absolutely worthless to put those blue strips. <laughs> but you remember how the novel goes, don't you? There's Pip and there's Miss Haversham. And Pip is a boy that's coming to the house of Miss Haversham. And Miss Haversham, I think, is one of the most unforgettable figures in English literature. He's a common laboring boy, and he comes to see Miss Haversham over in her large and dismal mansion, and he's called there to entertain the lady. And as the novel goes, it talks about how she's dressed in rich materials and that are supposed to be white, but it says, I saw that everything within my view, which ought to have been white, had been white long ago. It had lost its luster and was faded and yellow. I saw that the bride within the bridal dress had withered like the dress and like the flowers, and she had shrunk to skin and bones. Pip notices that the watch and the clock are stopped at 20 minutes to 9. In the next room, all the clocks had been stopped and sunlight had been shut out. So finally, when Pip goes to Miss Havisham, Miss Havisham says to Pip, Look at me. You're not afraid of a woman who has never seen the sun since you were born, are you? And then she says to Pip, Do you know what I touch here? Laying her hands one over the other one on her side. And she says, Yes, ma'am. Miss Haversham says, What do I touch? Pip responds, Your heart. Miss Haversham says, Broken. It takes Pip a few years to learn all of her story. She had received his cruel, the lover's cruel letter of rejection 20 minutes before 9 as she was dressing for the ceremony, and she had spent all her life since then locked in the pain of that fateful moment. It had deformed her. Unforgiveness deforms all of us. Resentment deforms 
all of us. And all of us know something about the frenzied longings for revenge. I know about it. I suspect you know about it. It's called human nature. I know how hard it is for all of us to put hurts to good use, to turn sighs into songs. I know it is hard not to be resentful, especially when you have been beaten, fired, betrayed, mugged, suffered racial profiling, any of those injustices in our society. But remember this, remember what St. Augustine one time wrote, imagine the vanity of thinking that your enemy can do you more harm than enmity. Which is why it's so important to let go and to set free the person whom you have be believe has betrayed you as well as setting yourself free. When it comes to forgiveness, I always go back to read Martin Luther King, his Christmas sermon of 1954 at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. It's a sermon that has as both a sermon about theological virtue as well as a practical way of life. And in that sermon, Martin Luther King wrote, Forgiveness does not mean ignoring what has been done or putting a false label on an evil act. It means rather that the evil act no longer remains a barrier to our relationship. While hating segregation, we should love the segregationists. This is the only way to create the beloved community, which is always a reminder that we are called to forgive precisely what we cannot condone. If you can condone something, it doesn't need forgiveness. It is precisely what cannot be condoned that has to be forgiven. But let's move on to the second misconception. Real Christians can forgive and forget and move on. Have you heard that one? Forgive and forget. There's nothing more dangerous than that statement. You can't forget what's happened to you. Elie Wiesel, on his testimony at the Klaus Barbie trial in 1987, said this, justice without memory is incomplete justice, false and unjust. To forget would be an absolute injustice. To forget would be the enemy's final triumph. Forgiveness is not denying that the offense has occurred or that it didn't hurt. Faith is not a bulletproof vest. To pretend that an offense has not happened, to deny that it didn't hurt, and to say something like, it's okay, it didn't matter, when it did, is to be prepare, preparing yourself to be blindsided one more time. Forgiveness is not about condoning, it's not about excusing, it's not about denying, and it's not about forgetting. Rather, forgiveness begs for vigorous remembering. If you can remember and forgive, perhaps reconciliation can take place, which is two parties coming to grips with the issue. On the 30th anniversary of the Selma to Montgomery Civil Rights March, George Wallace attended the service at St. Jude's Church, the patron saint of hopeless causes. And there George Wallace held hands with black Southerners and sang, We Shall Overcome. Wallace came asking and receiving forgiveness. And after Wallace spoke, Joseph Lowry thanked him and said, You are a different George Wallace today. We both serve a God who can make the desert bloom. We ask God's blessing on you. 
but it didn't mean that they forgot what had happened all those years in Alabama. Third misconception. Forgiving, forgiving 70 times 7 means being a Christian doormat. It doesn't mean that. It just means that Jesus wants us to practice over and over and over until we get good at it. It doesn't mean that you're becoming a doormat and let people to walk all over you. It doesn't mean that you're called to stay in a hurtful and abusive relationship ad infinitum, nor does it negate the need for boundaries. Tolerating any kind of abuse breeds more abuse. The consequences of our lives need to be real for pathological behavior to finally be ac accepted. At the same time, we must pray for grace to contend against becoming contentious or self-righteous. If you love good more than you hate evil, then all you've become is a sentimentalist. But if you hate evil more than you love good, all you have become is a good hater. And of such people, this world already has enough. And you and I both know that. And finally, the fourth misconception, or perhaps the fourth injunction. Why should we forgive at all? Why not hold on to all that stuff that energizes us and gives us all that energy, you know? The reason is because God has forgiven you. Because God forgives. And God has forgiven you, and God is inviting you and me as a follower of Christ to forgive in the, way, the same way that God forgives. It's not God the only one who is charged with forgiveness. You and I, as agents of God, are charged with forgiveness. We are the agents of forgiveness. I was listening to a song on the popular radio station. It's entitled Praying by Kesha, or Kesha, K-E-S-H-A. Have you heard it? <laughs> Some of the young people in the congregation are nodding. Some of you with hair like mine don't know anything about it. Anyway, there is a verse in it that goes like this. Oh, sometimes I pray for you at night. Clearly she's been hurt. Someday maybe you'll see the light. Oh, some say in life you're going to get what you give. But some things only God can forgive. When I heard that, I said, oh, no. Oh, no, no. God can forgive, so you can forgive also. You can forgive just the same way that God forgives. That's the invitation. It's you. You're the agent of God. You're the one people are going to know about God's forgiveness. You're the one from whom people are going to know about God's grace. You're the one from whom people are going to know about God's love. When Peter says uh, something uh, about the 70 times 7, do you think he's beginning to think, do unto others as, as you would want God to do unto you? No. The answer is, do, do unto others as God has already done for you. God has torn up all those slips, all those IOU slips that you and I have with God. He's torn every one of us, turned every one of them away, and you and I are called to be those agents, to tear those IOU slips, to be the agent of God, to be the one who can forgive all who have harmed us. There's a wonderful line in uh, the book by Reinhold Niebuhr, which I always repeat to myself over and over, and I offer it for your consider consideration. And she says finally in that line, Therefore, we must be saved by the final form of God's love, which is forgiveness. And so it is. I think it's the greatest miracle in the biblical stories because it's so hard 
demands so much, and it is so absolutely important for our existence as faithful people. Amen.